a chance to get your coffee, may I please request that you return back to your seats. Thank you. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. So today we'll be continuing with this series that we'll be going through in the book of First Samuel. And it's a real treat and privilege to be taking you through the eighth chapter of the first book of Samuel. My, I'm a bearer. Tagana, <laughs> <laughs> will we'll read for us the text. All right, good morning, everybody. I'll be reading from the ESV version, and it's First Samuel chapter 8. Israel demands a king. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the, wor the words of the Lord to the people who are asking for him, for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your field and vineyards and olive or uh, orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of all your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. 
But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we, o- we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. So word of the Lord. Father, we pray that as we go through the word of God, you would speak to us, help us to get understanding and May we see you in the scriptures and may we see ourselves as looking at the word as a mirror. May it reflect on us and help us to see where we are in you and where we need to be in you. In Jesus' name. Israel demands a king. There's so much to say about this story. I'm even wondering where to start. My mind is just going in different directions because there's so many interesting things. But I think it's important to start with the context and how we got to where we are to this day. I want to talk about Samuel, but I want to talk about the judges, and I want to talk about the Old Testament. I want to condense the entire scriptures in one sermon, so help me God. I'll start with the baseline because I don't want to leave anybody behind. There was a man called Abraham. If you don't know who Abraham is, there's kids' church for you from that corner. But Abraham was a man that had been called by God and is told, go to the place I will show you. I will make a covenant with you. I will make you great. Your your offspring will be great, innumerable as the stars in the sky, as the sand on on the shore. So great shall your descendants be. And Abraham had a child, miraculously, at the age of 100, called Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. So Abraham had been promised that You know, you will be great and I will make a new nation through you and all the nations of the earth will become blessed through you. But then his grandson, Jacob, lived in a time when there was a great famine and then they had to go to Egypt for four centuries approximately. And then after that period, Moses came through. And Moses came at a point in time when the Israelites in Egypt were suffering greatly. For you see, when they had gone there four centuries prior, they had gone there because their, one of the brothers called Joseph had favor and was the Pharaoh's second in command and had a nice place. They had a nice place called Goshen and they lived there properly. But then a time came, Joseph died, and there was a Pharaoh who, who did not know who their Israelites were, who did not know why they were here in the first place, and they were growing rapidly in number to a point where they were a threat to the existence of Egypt from a numerical perspective, and the advisors of the Pharaoh told them, look, these people are growing so quickly, they are so fertile, they will soon overwhelm us. So therefore, the response was to subdue them to hardship and slavery and make them make, you know, hard labor and conscripted labor and all those things. And under their oppression, they cried out to God, and God raised up for them a deliverer in Moses. And Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go that they may come and worship me. And Pharaoh refused, and they, through miraculous signs, they went out, miraculously crossing the Red Sea as though it was dry land, and then getting slowly into the promised land after four decades. Now, Moses did not see the, he did not enter the promised land, he only saw it from afar. So the mission was then carried on to Joshua, and Joshua was told to take them on into the promised land. Now, Joshua was supposed to do this, and did this to the best of his ability. 
And he told them, remember what the Lord has said. Remember the covenant of the Lord. Keep his statutes and you will be great. Now, God has given us this land, but we have to drive out the inhabitants. Because when we went to Egypt, other people came and occupied the territory that had been promised to our father Abraham. So therefore, this territory is ours by right, by promise, by divine decree, but God has it for us to drive them out. They seem bigger and more numerous than we, but we have God on our side. So therefore, take heart, obey the Lord, and we will drive them out. And they did that to some extent. But when, when Joshua died, a generation came after him that did not know who God was, did not remember the covenant, and therefore did not fulfill everything that God had in store for them. So whereas they were supposed to take over some territory, they only took part of it. And they ended up coexisting in some areas. And doing the very thing that God would have them not do, which was obey and serve the gods of Canaan. You see, they were supposed to drive out all these people. The Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Ammonites, the Jebusites, the Gibeonites, the Termites, Parasites. <laughs> all of them. But they failed to do so. And then they began to intermingle. They began to get into idolatry. And as the Bible says, they prostituted themselves to the bowels of that land. And so God became angry with them. He's like, how soon are you forgetting my covenant? How soon are you forgetting my ways? And so what then began to happen is they got subdued by the other nations. Nations would rise up against them. They would go to battle and lose. They would try and regroup again, and they would lose the battles. And they would cry out to God, and God would have mercy on them, and God would have a judge, a deliverer raised up for that purpose, and that judge would then help to fend off the oppressor and reclaim back some of that land. But then they got into a cycle because no sooner had the judge assisted them to fend off the territory of the, to, to fend off the enemy and reclaim that territory, then they would be, you know, relieved. So finally, we are not under oppression anymore. We have a sense of relief. They would be content. There would be a season of peace, especially when the judge was still alive. And then that contentment and peace would soon lead to comfort and complacency and then pride, and then they would backslide back again into idolatry. And then in their idolatry, they would forget the Lord again. They would prostitute themselves to the bowels again, and then God would send up another nation to discipline them, to chastise them, to punish them. And then they would cry again out of their misery, and then another judge would be raised up again, and on and on and on. The cycle would continue from deliverance to oppression, from refuge to idolatry, and so forth. And it was a spiral. And unfortunately, it was a downward spiral. So Samuel was the last of those judges. And he's basically coming into the scene about 800 years from Abraham and about 400 years from Moses. So he's the last of those judges. And then he then decided, because he's getting old, he decided to appoint his sons, Joel and Abijah, to take over after him as judges in Israel. But then that was an unprecedented move because, you see, judges, unlike kingships, unlike priesthood, it was not a hereditary office. The office of a judge was not to be passed down from father to son. It had never been happened before. God had not talked about it that way. 
It wasn't like Aaron as a priest who said, you know, your sons and Levites must come from the lineage of Aaron, and Aaron was from the lineage of Levi, and Levi will forever be the priesthood lineage. So it was nothing like that. God had always had the ultimate decision as to who to appoint as a judge. So Samuel did something that was unprecedented, and then it did not work. And the elders of Israel came and called him out for it and told him, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. They are corrupt. They accept bribes. They pervert justice. So they were right to call out Samuel. And they were right to say, we're not going to accept incompetent leaders over us. We're not going to accept corrupt leaders over us. And that obviously stung Samuel because, number one, A, his succession plan was being rubbished. His succession plan was collapsing before his eyes. And on top of that, it was a matter involving his own sons. I'm sure it is painful, especially for Samuel, who was, by all accounts, a godly man, to see that his own children were not walking in his ways and were not walking in the ways of the Lord. So he was suffering rejection at a personal level. It seemed like a failure from a succession and planning level. It seemed like a failure from a parental level. And also it seemed that history was repeating itself. Because when Samuel was a child, he grew up under Eli, and he saw Eli's children being completely wayward. They were completely overcome by the sin of lust and were completely wicked and did not follow the Lord's ways. So talk about history repeating himself. He then becoming a parent, him becoming a dad and seeing his own children failing to walk in the ways of the Lord. So he must have stung and he was upset about it most certainly. That those are some, the main 12 judges there and uh, three are not Three are not featured there. There's a guy called Abimelech who served for three months under, after, after Gideon. And then after this, we had then, we had then Eli, who's mentioned in the first book of Samuel, and then Samuel himself. Okay? So they then said that the elders of Israel then said, give us a king like the other nations, that we may be like the other nations. And this thing displeased Samuel. Samuel was heartbroken, heart disappointed, and he went to the Lord. I really, I really like that response. He went to the Lord. So many times we face heart and disappointment and decide to release it to you, back to sender. <laughs> but Samuel took it to the, oh, what peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And then, you know, God is in the process of saying, Samuel, actually, they haven't rejected you. It is me they have rejected. And I want to go into that a little bit. But did you know that this was not even the first time they had demanded a king? You see, in this other slide, they had asked the same thing of one of the judges that came before Samuel. They said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson, because you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said in Judges chapter 8 and verse 23, No, I shall not do that, neither will I lead you, nor my son lead you, nor my grandson lead you. The Lord will rule over you. So this wasn't even the first time coming. This wasn't even the first time that even made this demand. I think they were, even, they were emboldened to make this demand because in the case of Samuel, he was old, 
and there was no apparent successor as a judge. His sons were not fit for purpose. There was a vote of no confidence that was passed unanimously. And so they felt this is the occasion to make this demand yet again. And God said, it is not you that has been rejected, it is me. In other words, these people have a king, a divine king. So when they're saying, give us a king, it's not that they don't have a king, it's just that they don't want the king that they already have. And that's hurtful. But then God said, you know, accept their request and give them a king. Which makes me wonder, was it God's will for Israel to have a king? On the one hand, he's saying this is a rejection of me. On the other hand, he's saying, listen to them and give them what they ask for. Going back to Abraham, the father of this nation, one of the things that God told him in Genesis chapter 17, next slide, is that I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. He repeated the same thing with regard to Abraham's wife, Sarah. He said, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her, and that was Isaac. Then I will also bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, and kings of peoples shall come from her. So God had promised Abraham 800 years before approximately that kings will come from your lineage. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, when Jacob was old, he said, gather my sons to me. And as he was leaning on his staff, he then began to prophesy to his sons. And he said about his son Judah, Judah, you are a lion's cub. And the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the people. The scepter would not depart from Judah. Judah would reign over his brothers. And that was the prophecy of Abraham's grandson, Jacob. So it was written, and it was there, that a king would come from Israel, that Israel would have kings, and more specifically, that those kings would come from the lineage of Judah. On top of that, four centuries after Jacob, Moses then said and wrote it concerning the matter of kings in the law in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17. He said, Now, when you come to the land the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me. Are you, how identical is that language, even first of all? So Moses not only had foreseen it, but he, even the reasons and the motives and the thinking had already been written centuries before. So God had already spoken to Moses about it and put it in the law. So when they say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. So these things were written. 
God spoke to Abraham about it. God spoke to Jacob about it. God spoke to Moses about it. But did it make it right for Israel to demand a king? And the answer is no. Why? Because they asked for the wrong reasons. Give us a king that we may be like the other nations. I'm sorry, what? This was completely the opposite of the master plan. The reason God called Abraham and told him, I'm going to make you a nation, a nation that is great, was because God wanted to reveal himself to the world through what he was doing in Abraham. Therefore, by design, Abraham was supposed to be set apart. From the very beginning, he was told, come off from your father's place and be set apart. Go into a different place that I will show you. And Abraham and the patriarchs were given the same command and the same covenant. And when Moses said, let my people go that they may come out and worship me. When they eventually came out, God told them, consecrate yourselves and be separate. Don't mingle, don't mix with the nations around you. I am calling you to be my holy possession. Come out of them and be holy because I am holy. Be consecrated, be set apart. I'm doing a different thing through you. Don't even intermarry. Don't even eat what they're eating. Don't even dress like they dress. And most importantly, don't worship their gods. It was supposed to be a special nation, unique, set apart from the world. And the covenant was that if you obey the Lord and trust him, you will be the head and not the tail. You will be victorious and blessed in the city and in the country. You will be like the breadbasket of the world. People will come to you for solutions. People will come to you for food. People will come to you for answers. The whole world will come to know who God is through you. It is the other nations of the world that will seek to be like you because they will see how elevated you are, how special you are, how things can be if God is the Lord over a people. And that was the covenant. I will elevate you. You will be the top and not the bottom. You will be a lender, not a borrower. Your barns will be full. Your vineyards will be full. You will be blessed in the city and in the country. You will be victorious in all that you do. But they not only failed to obey God, not only failed to keep the covenant, they got themselves so deeply compromised into sin and idolatry completely forgot the whole reason why they were set apart, completely rejected their own divine king, and then came and said, give us a king that we might be like the other nations. It's like a complete failure of the original intention. Completely wrong. It wasn't just wrong in that particular incident. It was just wrong in their thinking and in the design for Israel. The nation was supposed to be a come and see nation. Come and see what the Lord has done. Just like when God gave Solomon wisdom and that wisdom made him famous and people from every nation would come to see the splendor, would come to see the wisdom, like the queen from the south would come to see what God can achieve 
through a man that is submitted to him. That was the purpose and the plan. Other people are to conform. This was supposed to be the shining light of the world. Not the other way around. And so it was tragic for them to say, we don't want that blueprint, we don't want that master plan, we want the opposite. We want to play catch up. Well, it, it, before you judge them very harshly, I just want you to just in your quiet time reflect, how many times do you do things because your friend and neighbor has the... I'm, I'm here to testify that peer pressure is not a teenage crisis. <laughs> peer pressure is alive and well in the very adult phases of life. Let me just say keeping up with the Joneses because I hope there's no Joneses in this building. But there's lots of efforts, unfortunately, more than we care to admit, of people doing things because they want to do things because what their neighbor has, what their friends have. It could be very serious things. It could be very trivial things. And I'm not even going to go into the specifics because you know... You know what I'm talking about. Some things don't need to be extrapolated on at length. It's not just the fear of missing out that is alive and well. You know, we say we have not received a spirit of fear, but, uh, you know, the power and sound, and sound mind. That's what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7. But there are some fears that are resident in us. The fear of missing out. And the fear of not belonging. The fear of not being seen as one of the club. The fear of not being accepted. It is strong, alive, and well. Make you change your clothes, your shoes, your car, your residence, you know, changing education systems, changing where your children will go, changing what they will eat, not because it is what God has told you to do, but because it's what other people are doing. It's not in the scriptures, but it is written on other feeds and other threads and your plumb line and where you're getting your direction is not, is not the eternal word of God. It is the changing, changing themes of the day. Wrong reasons. God is saying, I'm calling you to be set apart. You're supposed to be like a light. A city built on a hill. That people may see what God is doing through you and praise God. You're not supposed to be conforming. You're supposed to actually be helping people to see who God is. Helping people to see what God can do. But so many times you get into the opposite kind of thing. It was the wrong reasons, totally. Wrong timing as well. We have seen that God had promised Abraham kings would come from him. We had seen that Jacob had said the scepter will not depart. So God had it in his mind. And he had said it centuries before that kings will come in the story of Israel. But he wanted to do it in his own time. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there is a time and a season for every activity under the sun. There's a time to plow, a time to reap, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to work, a time to rest. And God makes all things beautiful in his time. The problem is that God doesn't share calendars with you. So he has some things. He can even promise you. There. He can give you a specific promise. But... You might not know, you might not be in sync with respect to the timelines. He has good plans. He means better for you than you mean for yourself. He has a better understanding of what is good than you do. He is wiser than you, better than you. 
But then you might want a good thing, but then because it's not coming in the time that you think it's supposed to come through in, you then decide to take it upon yourself and do what God has failed to do. Wrong timing. It wasn't the plan, but it wasn't in God's timing, and they insisted and forced it out of sync with his time. The result was the wrong king. They asked a king for carnal and selfish and bad reasons, and they got a carnally minded and bad king. The first king was King Saul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. The prophecy was that the scepter shall not depart from not the same WhatsApp group. Mismatch. You then have something that looks like the promise, but is not the promise. There are counterfeit blessings in this world. Looks like the original, but is actually different. And outwardly, you can look like you hashtag blessed, hashtag breakthrough. But it's not exactly what God had for you. It looks similar. And to the outward people, and if you're trying to make impressions, you look like you have it. Hallelujah. And then they said, by the way, even, even to make it worse, to add insults to injury, they said, give us a king who will go before us and fight battles for us. I mean, that's the time when I would feel that, you know, thunder is doing press-ups <laughs> in heaven. Because now this is provocation. You are not only abusing, insulting, rejecting, you're provoking. You're provoking. What do you mean a king to go and fight your battles for you? Who has been responsible for the victories that you have won? Why are you so quick to forget? Clearly history was not a class being taught in Israel. Because there was so much that God had already done. How dare they say, I mean, Chris just read it right now. In, in Psalm chapter 24, verse 7 and 8, it says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory should come in. And who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. The Lord himself was their warrior. Time and time again, he had proven it. The Lord himself was their warrior. And he says, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but they that trust in the name of the Lord shall be saved. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Those that run to it are saved. Unless the Lord builds a city, those that guard it and build it labor in vain. There's so many scriptures and so many examples in their recent and distant history. How dare they say a king to fight for us? Well, before you judge them too harshly, <laughs> just think about your life. Think about your life. You know, this cycle that the children of Israel, just think about it. When you are in the wilderness, praying, fasting, binding, <laughs> loosing, waiting for your breakthrough, 
trusting the Lord, shaking. You're trying to shake the heavens, but it's your body that's shaking. So anyway, you get your breakthrough, and then maybe, maybe you have the grace in you to, to go back to God and say thank you. But statistics in the scripture, kissing point the lepers, nine times out of ten, 90% of the population just go and never come back to say thank you. Picture seeing a leper that has been healed by Jesus, you know, being asked, how is your skin so smooth? Thank you. Welcome to my channel. My skincare routine, guys. My skincare routine. Product endorsement. You know, when you get your breakthrough, you might say thank you to God. You might not. Nine times out of ten, people don't. And then when you get your success and continued success, people then say, but really, tell me the secret. I mean, how are you making it breakthrough? How are you thriving when others are surviving? What then happens is, you, you know, the whole story of talking about the Lord starts to be a bit boring. And people want, you know, something with a bit more razzmatazz. And, you, you know, you, you transform into a motivational speaker. If somebody gives you an opportunity to give a TED Talk, are you going to go say and say, Jehovah has done it for me? Oh, are you going to talk about, you know, my habits, uh, atomic habits <laughs> are doing it for me and they can do what works for me can work for you. Isn't that what happens? It, it, some people just find, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not woke enough to, to talk about God as a source of my victory and you sort of put him to the side and then, you know, you know just say, you know, it's, it's either I want a king to fight the other battles for me. Why? Because the, the people, the nations that are successful in battle, all of them have kings. Forgetting, forgetting where your breakthrough came. Your breakthrough did not come from your methods, from your initiatives. If God was not in it, everything would have come to nothing. But how quickly we forget and how quickly we supplant that breakthrough for a human-based kind of explanation, taking the credit where it's absolutely not due. And so God said, look, wrong reasons, wrong timing, but give them what they want. Give them a warning. That king will take and take and take and take. Long list of things that the king will take. And they said, we don't, fine, we want it. Sometimes if you insist on something, God can actually allow you to have it. Not because it's his will for you, but because you are insisting and he actually now wants to give you character development through that very thing that you're so stubbornly insisting on. Have you considered, in the next slide, what, what the prophet Hosea said? Hosea said, this is the word of the Lord. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of burning heat. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud, and then they forgot me. How familiar is that sequence of events? And he continued to say, you were destroyed, Israel, because you are against me, against your helper. Where is your king that he may save you? Where are your rulers in all your towns of whom you said, give us a king and princes? So in my anger, I gave you a king, and in my wrath, I took him away. Again, all written there. It's all written. 
Nothing new under the sun from where God sits. As a matter of fact, this happened, it, it would have been bad if this was the only time that it happened. But as I've said, it wasn't even the first time that they insisted on a human king rejecting the divine king. It wasn't the first time, and unfortunately, it wasn't the last time. For you see, this was all again pointing to the future. When the king of kings, when the lion of the tribe of Judah would come into the earth, God made flesh, the God man, Jesus Christ. Son of God, son of David, lion of the tribe of Judah, the deliverer, the Messiah, the king. And they said, in the next slide, they said, when, when Christ was presented to Pilate, flogged, 40 lashes minus one, covered in a purple robe, crowned with a crown of thorns, Pilate then wanted to set him free, for he had not seen anything in him that would merit the punishment of death. But the Jews and the people around them were insistent. Because he said, Pilate said, Behold your king. And they said, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate asked, Shall I crucify your king? And the priest said, We have no king but Caesar. The heart, the pain, the betrayal, the rejection of God as king happened not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. There's a clear record here of our dealings with God. He presented himself as king in the Old Testament and we rejected. The people rejected Again, he came again in the New Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. And they said, we have no king, but a man made king, a man installed king, Caesar. So he was rejected then in the distant past. He was rejected in the recent times in the New Testament. So the question then becomes, will he be rejected once more today? You know, you might say, like Peter did, other people may reject you, but not I. I will never reject you. I will never forsake you. I will follow. Even when others scatter, I will follow till the end because I'm sure you're the king. Well, if you're so confident, that's, that's amazing. But also, it's a speech that the Lord himself has heard before. And it's easy to say things in a certain environment when you think you are, when the sun is shining and you are in a nice place. It's another thing when you're in a completely different environment. And then the question becomes, you know, will you reject the king? Uh, Bill Bright, in the guy who said the campus crusade for Christ, it's something I used to use when I was a, a, an amateur evangelist in my campus days. Um, some illustrations that I find useful. A distinction between the self-centered 
life and the self-directed life. And the life there is a circle. And on the left, you can see clearly that Christ is not inside that person's life. The self is firmly on the throne, and every interest, every priority, every objective is being directed from that throne. And Christ is not in it at all. They have not believed, they have not submitted, they have not accepted, they have not come to faith. And it's self-centered. On the, on, the, on the next image, that the right one, on the same, it's now the self-directed, where Christ is somehow in the picture. Christ is in the picture, but is clearly not on the throne. This person has never sung, Jesus, take the wheel, and for sure has never meant it. So Christ is not directing. He's not on the driver's seat, maybe passenger seat, Shotgun, maybe in the back. He's, perhaps Christ is like a consultant in their lives, but not the one calling the shots. Not the one determining the direction. Maybe in case of emergency, call on him. Maybe he's like a fire insurance in your life, but clearly not on the throne. He is not your king. It's good enough that he saved you. It's good enough that he's the son of God and you love him enough to come to church and, and identify yourself with the people of God. But he's an almost independent consultant. And you engage him on your terms. Call him when you need him. But otherwise you know, with his wisdom, perhaps, you can direct the affairs of your life. This second slide after that is, is what it means to have Christ as king, where he's not only in the circle of your life, but he is on the throne of your heart. He's actually occupied the center of your life and filled it to the point where the self has been dethroned, and the self is submitted to the one occupying the throne in your life. And in that version of reality, it is him who is dictating what the priorities are, what the decisions to be made are, and where we are going with this thing called life. He's not consulting, he is directing. You're not in the driver's seat, you are actually now riding shotgun. And it is his direction that precedes yours. As he himself prayed in the garden, not my will, Lord, but let your will be done. So desires will always be there. But this kind of person prays that let your desires for my life take precedence over my own desires. Let your will overrule mine. May what I ask for be in your will. So, a couple of things just to emphasize are that we have been called, as the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the ringing of our minds. And that's when we will get to know and approve God's will for us, his good 
pleasing and perfect will. There's a mind shift that needs to happen, a renewal of our minds that needs to happen so that we stop coping the world and start really following Jesus as king. And when that happens, we will find that now what he wants for us is what we want for ourselves. Our will and his will will start to see an alignment. And the other thing is, don't forget where your breakthroughs come from. As the Bible says in uh, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, do trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It's God who gives you the breakthrough. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And maybe some here are like Samuel who felt a very deep, a very deep personal rejection. Things did not go the way they were supposed to go. Like Samuel felt he may have done everything right. He walked with the Lord. He was a godly man. But what he received at the end of his life when he was old was effectively a vote of no confidence. And he suffered deep rejection. And maybe some are here in that same scenario where you feel you've done what you're supposed to be doing, but things actually haven't worked out the way they're supposed to. And God maybe has personally disappointed you and you face rejection in whatever it is that you're aiming to do. It could be starting a business, it could be getting a new job, it could be finding a spouse, wherever it is. But rejection has been following you instead of blessings and goodness and mercy. And I, want to, and I want to pray with you and pray for you. And I want you to release that burden to God and not leave this place with it. Because he is, he is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. He is the one who is able to empathize with us. Empathize with every suffering, every weakness, because he was tempted and tried and tested in every way that we are. And yet was without sin. And he's able to identify with all our struggles, all our tests, and all our trials. And, and if that is a particular burden that you've been carrying, I, I want to uh, invite you to, to pray and also for the prayer team to come and pray with you on that. And lastly, that you at a personal level would make the decision to follow the king. It's not a group decision, it's a personal decision. And have the king rule over your life, surrender and submit to him and to his authority. And um, as I invite the, the worship team to come and close, I'd, I'd like you to consider that. Moving from Jesus somewhere in your life to Jesus at the center of your life. Having him not just as savior, but as Lord and King. Not just saying that I'm going to verbally affirm my commitment to the creeds of the church, but making a very deep and personal commitment to actually follow him wherever it is that he leads. Amen? Let's, let's stand and pray. Thank you.
Lord, we turn once again the posture of our hearts to you. Lord, I pray for those who feel feel rejected. Lord, I pray for those who feel like, Lord, I've been faithful. I've been trying to do what you, what I thought you wanted me to do, and this has not turned out how I thought you wanted it to turn out or how I wanted it to turn out. Lord, I pray we would see once again your face. We would know your love. Lord, I pray you'd give your people a courage to not want to be just like the other nations, to not want to be like everyone else, but Lord, to live as a distinctive people set apart, filled with the power of the Spirit. Jesus, people, come and fill us, Lord, we pray. Would you give us energy? Would you give us hope and life that we may walk in your ways? as we close for those who feel like they've heard from God but feel let down this might not be many of you might just be one or two but those who feel like they've heard from God and maybe feel let down Lord would you show us where you are would you remind us of your love remind us that you care for us deep deep inside Lord the things that we, we thought we'd heard from you, the things we thought you wanted but haven't come to pass. And it leaves us maybe feeling despair and feeling rejection. Would you come, Lord? I'm going to wrap up in just a moment, but there's going to be some people down here if you want prayer over over that or anything in particular we'd love just to stand with you in prayer but as you go into this week Lord would you bless us would you fill us to be your people in this city and beyond Lord would you use us for your glory that your name may be made great we may see your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven we pray Amen. Amen. Thanks, bro. Everybody's so nice to see you. So glad you're here.